This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. everybody. Welcome back to A Catholic's Perspective, the podcast all about being a young Catholic surviving in a secular world. Today, I have a very special guest with us. We have Jason Craig. He's from a small dairy farm in Western North Carolina. He's the co-founder of Fatternoose, um, founding, and you're the founding editor of Swords and Spade magazine, the author of Leaving Boyhood Behind, and he holds a master's degree from the Augustan Institute and is known to claim his family invented bourbon. So Jason, this book is absolutely amazing that we're talking about today. I'm so happy to have you on. Welcome. Thank you so much. That was kind of you. Yeah, of course. I, you know, as a woman, I was reading this and I know that this is primarily made for men. Um, but I was like, geez, I want something like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm reading it right now with my family and my oldest child, we have eight children, but she is 14 and, uh, it's going great. And she's like, well, why didn't you, uh, you know, why isn't this for everyone? I'm like to exclude you, sweetie. Cause I didn't want you here. No, I didn't say that. I, uh, there's just, there's some emphasis of things that are particular, uh, to men, but, uh, you know, my experience with sword and spade magazine, which began as a men's magazine, it's that, uh, you know, we, we men and women are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, sometimes having insight, it's like, oh, they're, you know, thinking about things differently than I am. But, uh, no, I I've had, plenty of feedback that it's it's fine for I, I accept that you've read it and that you're reading it at least. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad because now we have we can have this conversation That's right. <laughs> and I think it's so important especially to emphasize that difference between men and women especially in a world where those lines are consistently blurred and I think that this book does a really good job of that like as a woman reading it I definitely could tell it was gauged towards men but I also think it's important for women to see the way that men think and the things that they're up against and, you know, how men kind of process stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, someone sent me um, a video and I believe, I think it was a feminist. This sounds real vague. Someone sent me a video on the internet, but no, really look it up um, where a, a, a woman had presumed upon the experience of men as being, um, almost lazy and easier mm. so she dressed as a man for a year or something and uh or i believe it was 18 months and she came out on the other side of it and completely rethought her position and wrote an entire book about the the struggles how she just had no idea and, and we you know um you know vice versa we should be absolutely presumptuous of ourselves uh, that we, we we don't know what we're talking about because i'm not a woman and and uh there's a reason you know that god has joined us together as something do things that are very different, you know, to bring life and to bring goodness. But yeah, we're, we're not the same creatures. 
Yeah, I think that's Are you important. married, Amber? Are you married? Almost. I'm engaged. Oh, snap. That's great. Congratulations. Thank you. We get married in uh, June of next year. Oh, man. All right. Let's just switch this to marital advice. No, just kidding. No. <laughs> let's go right into it. Let's That's just why you're reading it. it. You're you're trying to get ahead of the game. I got to I got to get inside his head. You know, <laughs> <laughs> this Excellent. is actually his Christmas present, too. So. All right. So he doesn't watch your show. He doesn't know what's coming. <laughs> no, he he does a lot of work for me behind the scenes. But when it comes to the actual like production i'm in charge of like the editing and everything so he does all of the like camera book like the camera work he set all of this up like lighting and everything so i get the other stuff all right all right yeah no that's awesome and i do think it's so important that you know women and men they have their own set of struggles they have their own set of way of dealing with things and i think our communication between the two sexes has really been lost because I saw something not too long ago. I don't know if it was on Twitter or where, but it was basically how men have been like hit over the head constantly by feminists since like the feminist movement really started taking up, you know, more space in the world, like around the sexual revolution. And they've been beat over the head so often that when a woman actually comes to them with good critiques and like standards and things like that, they take it for them being a feminist. And it's crazy to see how like we've lost that connection and we've lost that way of communicating as sexes, like just being able to just understand each other. Um, and it's just, it's crazy. So I'm glad that, you know, books like this exist for men and that I'm pretty sure some, there has to be some books that exist like this for women too, somewhere. No, no, women just get it naturally. We need books. The men need. I would actually so to to that comment, I would go further back. Absolutely, in the and 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 talking about the Catholic idea of virtue, which is what mm. the book is about. Because a lot of us have an idea of what virtue means, but even a secularist, or the most worldly, they'll use the word virtue. You know, and a pagan will use the word virtue, and we mean something very different by it. Um, but for men uh, in our age, you know, we have the extremes um, of of the machismo male, of the hyper effeminate male. I remember growing up and being told, like, beat over the head constantly at school, like, violence doesn't solve any problems. Never, never be violent. Never hit anyone. You know, all these things. And then I remember I got uh, beat up in my neighborhood. I lived in kind of a rough neighborhood, and uh, I remember my mom going, "Well, did you hit him back?" And I'm like, "Well, what do you people want from me? What am I supposed to do here?" You know. Um, <laughs> The, the confusion of these extremes we have of the, you know, the very passive male, right, who just accepts it, and then the, uh, the hyper-aggressive male who just has to dominate every room he walks in, and then the guy who you just described who's, like, just trying to get a critique from his, you know, maybe fiancé. Sounds like there's some stories behind that comment you made. But uh, that there um, – the, the confusion goes further back and sort of the disintegration of the idea of the person – uh, where today, for example, let's say the word emotions, like, we're like, oh, is it, does it, are you speaking from your emotions or is it, um, and really when we say as Catholics, I'm speaking from the heart, that is the place where, and, and this is what Aquinas is trying to do when he teaches about the virtues, which is the place where your intellect and your will, and yes, your emotions, your passions, your urges, your, your desires, your hungers, your angers, like all these things, they intersect in the human heart. That's where they all just come together. And some people, everyone's using words, everyone's using actions, and you're always expressing. So someone might say, oh, oh, you know, don't emote all over me, bro, or, you know, these things. But it's, it's, 
all of those things, except sort of in an, a post enlightenment, not to get too nerdy, but a post enlightenment disintegration of the person that Aquinas and Catholic teaching really brings together into this idea of virtue, which is growing up, which is mm -hmm. becoming mature as the man, as the woman that God created you to be as a man, as a woman, as God created. And it's not as if you're, you're not following a program. It's not a protocol. It's not a life hack. It's not a, a seven easy steps to being a happier person. It, it's none of those things. It's actually the universal facilities of man, you know, his intellect, his will, his passion, but also your completely unrepeatable uniqueness uh, growing into maturity. Right. And that's in a, that's in the world of relationships. So, you know, a lot of times today it's like the, the feminists, like all that stuff, those, those um, questions fall back on pre on, on disintegrations of how we understand the human persons, how we understand virtue, how we understand happiness, all these things. And we're all just kind of trying to put together little pieces of, you know, I think the life hack is that like, what's the, what's the thing I can do that will like make this all work. And that thing, you know, to the Catholic conscience is, is virtue. That's what it mm -hmm. is. But it, that's a much bigger, you know, topic than what a lot of us grasp it to be. And I think it's so important to trace it further back to, because even though I think the sexual revolution is where people started noticing it a lot more, I definitely think that, I mean, it has roots all the way back to, you know, Adam and Eve and, and you know, the fall and all of that. And so I think in today's culture, we tend to warp things. I mean, love used to mean something completely different than it does today. There are so many words that have been twisted and so many beautiful things that have been twisted into being ugly. And I think it really shows how the culture is when we see like how men and women are constantly fighting each other. Men and women aren't maturing. I mean, I've, I've been friends with people who in their 30s still go to strip bars and hook up and things like that. And, you know, it, it's not necessarily like, oh, they're being childish. Like, that's not really a childish thing. That's more immature. Wait, hold on, wait, like, hold on. Nope, it is. You're it is. Right. Yes. So you're actually, you, you want to define as childish because, yeah. and it's true, like when St. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, so 1 Corinthians 13, we get this whole litany of love. They're probably going to read it at your wedding. Right. Fair enough. Um, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is all these great things. So that's first Corinthians 13. So first Corinthians one through 12 is this, this, this description of this pretty like sorted, like really rough community and all the stuff going on. And he's actually constantly calling their attachment to the flesh, their worldliness, their divisiveness, their envy and jealousy. He's constantly calling it childish throughout mm. the whole thing. Um, he's, he's, I can't even talk to you because you people are like, your babies. I mean, he, he said like, that's like the chapter one or two. Your baby, I can't even talk, I can't even talk to you like spiritual men because you're babies. Because why after in first Corinthians 13, after that litany of love, he says, when I was a boy, I acted like a boy. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So mm. our attachment to the flesh, all those things actually are because a baby, it's completely absorbed in its flesh in the pleasures of its flesh. I'm hungry. I'm cold. And every time I feel one of those things, I cry and I want my, I want my flesh to be taken care of and you know what that's okay for a baby and then slowly it, they grow into maturity but yeah by the time they're 30 quit going out and spending your money spoiling your flesh you're past that you you, mm -hmm. you, you should have been now it changes form right but i mean those clubs that those guys are going to it's changed forms completely but uh 
it's still the same thing, immaturity. Yeah. And I think that's definitely, again, another thing that's kind of been twisted because when I always think of childish, I think of a, a child, child, you know, a little kid, I'm a babysitter. So like, I'm like, little kids aren't going to strip clubs and stuff. But when you put it like that, that's the original meeting. That's what it means, you right. know? Can, and can I, yeah. Do the, do the kids you babysit, can they be childish? Yes. Okay. But yeah. they're children. Right. So when I tell a, a kid you're being childish, it's kind of like, huh? If I tell right. a 17-year-old boy you're being childish, it means something different. So childish mm -hmm. actually gets worse. When a child acts like a child, it's okay. And there's just there's there's a distinction. Yeah, I think intuitively you're recognizing you're you're constructing these you're babysitting, and then you got these friends that are 30 years old, and like you guys need a babysitter. I mean, it's the same problem. It's so true though. They really Which do. Is, this is this so this is the this is the topic of virtue. Virtue is actually. I mean, this is what it means. Uh, you know, vir virtue is not a a method or a life hack. It actually is you and your powers maturing to what they were meant to be. The way an oak tree might begin as an acorn and become this weak little sapling that's very dependent on the shelter of the mother tree. Eventually, it grows into its glory. Mm. But if it stays weak and flimsy, right, under the mother tree or something, that, yeah, you're, you're, yeah. you're describing it. It's a beautiful analogy. And I think it's so important that we understand because we brought the kids into it and how like, yeah, like you said, kids can be childish, but when you become a certain age, it becomes less likely that like childish becomes a good thing, you know, actually not at all, because when you're 17, 18, 19, you want to be treated like an adult. So you might as well act like an adult. And I think, you know, especially fathers are so important in the home for their kids to teach them virtues and to teach them how not to be childish and unfortunately especially where i'm from in chicago we have a lot of broken homes across the world but i mean the gangs run rampant in chicago and it's because of fatherless homes mm -hmm. and so you know i i think it's so important that dads are also you know not childish but there are so many dads who are you know they haven't grown out of that either and so I think it's so important for the dads to cultivate that virtue and their kids will follow. But why is it so important for fathers to like explicitly teach about virtues? Yeah. I mean, as you, you know, we, we keep bringing up maturity and virtue and all that, but you know, when we say the phrase women and children, the word children is kind of androgynous, right? It's like mm. you know, without gender, right? We just say children, we say women and children, they're over there. They're like this mass of innocence and hope right, that are, are worthy of protection and sacrifice, women and children. And maturity itself is sort of the distinguishing of children, this androgynous, you know, whole, and I, I know they're different, and boys and girls are very different. I have a lot of kids, they're different. But as far as maturity, it's actually the distinguishing of men from women and, and men from children. And one of those, one of the things that must happen, it does happen in healthy societies, is that the men adopt and take on the direct formation of the child because a mother gives everything of 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 her her flesh, her ability, her her skills, her labor, everything about her is given over um, to the care of a child, right? So she can give him, she can give him everything, but she cannot give him masculinity. Mm -hmm. Not get he cannot become a man under her because she's not one, no matter what. You know, she says her dress is like her wig she purchases. She's not a man. She never will be. So she can't give that gift. So if that's a gift that must be given, then who gives it, right? And so the the father very often serves as that first initiatory introduction, uh, particularly for boys, 
uh, into the world of how we interact as men. And, and simply put, the reason fathers are so important for the, the explicit instruction of virtue is that they are men. That's the, the first thing. Um, and definitely I, I recommend, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people when you start talking about this, like, well, what do you, what do you want me to do? What does that mean? I say, well, I want you, I want you to teach your sons about virtue. I want you to catechize them. I want you to teach them. And it's some people either they can latch on and say, okay, I get that. Or they might say, I, I just want to happen. I want to let it happen naturally. That's not my job. Like that's hard. I don't understand it. Uh, but I, in, in our day and age, the explicit teaching is necessary. And I take the, uh, you know, the John Boxco approach, which is he would create environments where boys would thrive, where there was enough danger and fun and a lack of mothers to make sure they're safe, uh, that they could, you know, be boys. But he also would never presume that left alone, they would be, that would be enough. He, he brought, he had explicit instruction, explicit discipline, so that they would learn the forms and the ways and the manners of, of men. And simply put, a mom will never be able to give that. And in our, you, you were describing fatherlessness and, and I mean, the compounding issue for males, I can tell you, uh, and it's just, I don't know if you meant, the other book I have, Leaving Boyhood Behind, is about this, which is about rites of passage, how boys grow up, why some men don't, um, is that in a world of sort of hyper-maternity, hyper-maternal care, boys remain in a, a state of comfort and a state of uh, very often bodily comfort and a, a protection from safety, a lack of integration with adult men that makes them can make them effeminate, which doesn't mean acting girly. Feminine actually means a male unwilling and unable to sacrifice. Oh. Uh, it can it makes them weird and annoying. Um, it makes them oftentimes passive because they're they're learning to just take their orders from and 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 or that like real annoying nerdy kind of passive where they like just wait for every moment to like showcase what they know like or like please the women around them because then oh auntie just dotes all over them and. Um, you know, Uncle Bub's on the back porch smoking a cigarette unimpressed. Like, that kid's weird, you know. Um, he actually probably needs to be with Uncle Bub, right? Back porch. Um, so the reason that, that the, the men are important is that if a boy remains in this world of, of feminine, of care, his relationship to the feminine in his life becomes disordered, independent, and, and weird, and... Um, unhealthy so mm. one of the reasons i wrote the book was was actually you know no one there, there we did not need another book on virtue and thomas aquinas there's a lot of much better ones out there than what i just wrote this one's actually not just about describing the virtues but actually giving a study a context so that men who want to say all right it's time for these boys to come and join me and we need we need to grow in virtue and it's like all right you need to study this you do need to renew your mind you need to get to work. You need to learn virtue. You need to learn character. You need to learn manners. You know all these things, uh, but you also need to study what Aquinas meant by virtue because it's brilliant and it's worthy of your study. So that's sort of the purpose of that book was that they would have a shared study to look at together. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Yeah. And that completely makes sense. I also love the style that you wrote in because so in for people who are listening, basically there's what is it? One chapter a week, is it? Mm -hmm. And then at the beginning, there's like a Summa Theologiae quote, and then you explain it and how it can kind of, um, you explain with saints and how they also express these virtues and stuff. And then you give like a Bible reading for that week. You know, every day you read a certain chapter from the Bible. And I just think that's so important because, um, connecting our faith in different ways, you know, being like, oh, this is what that saint said about that. And that's where this is in the Bible. And that's how I can cultivate that in my own life. Um, you know, because there's nothing wrong with just reading the Bible or just reading the Summa Theologiae, but I don't know about you, but I can't really read the Summa. Um, and so this was like a really digestible way for, I think, beginners and young, young men, you know, who are really looking for a place to start. I think it's a really good place for them to start. I'm so happy you said that. I um, Yeah, I love reading the Summa. I'm a bit of a nerd. I live, I have sons like bursting through this room right now. I don't know what they're doing, but they're- I can't hear them. Work. Yeah, well, I can. And that's <laughs> they're my problem. Um, the, um, I, I have lived, it's been a great life, but sort of in between like blue collar average guys. Uh, and then I, I do somehow found myself loving and being able to engage in the intellectual side of the church. And what's amazing about, um, so there's a lot of people coming in. Maybe I should relocate. The amazing thing about um, the Summa, the wisdom of St. Thomas Aquinas, is how often it actually would and does correspond to your your very average, regular experience. So it can be, yeah, it can seem very inaccessible. The average person cannot just sit down without some sort of training or guide and say, I'm just going to read the Summa. Um, you know, the 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 book is summarizing about 3,000 pages of the Summa on on the virtues. But there's all these, Aquinas clearly has an experience of real things. I mean, he you know, he talks about, you know, making sure your coat fits right as an analogy and, you know, fire is hot. And, all, and it's, it is very gritty. And the actual truth of it makes a lot of sense. Like his lessons on when it's okay to make fun of your friend and when it's not okay to make fun of your friend. Like I think a couple guys jiving with each other and, and ribbing one another would, would completely understand what he meant by that. Yeah. That's, it's really interesting. I think, you know, it's digestible. And like you said, I mean, I'm not, my, my fiance is a nerd, you know, where he likes to read the Summa Theologiae. I, <laughs> I've tried, I've been like, yeah, I can get into this, you know, and then I start and I'm like, uh, uh, so I really appreciate that you summarize 300, you know, pages of that in this book. <laughs> 3000. Sorry, not to be, not to correct. 3, oh, yeah. 3000. Wow. I'm appreciative of that well, okay. even more. And that's the, the the reason for summarizing it though is that there's a lot there you wouldn't be interested in, like when what what kind of witness a judge should accept in the case of justice or anything. But hmm. there, you know, when he talks about shame, Aquinas talks about shame and why shame is valuable. Yeah. Why being around people that know your sin and how you kind of wish you didn't have to be around them um, can be a good it can be a good thing. And um, so and he. He has all these things that are very applicable, uh, you know, our our vices are of of curiosity, for example. We talk about curiosity being a, a a virtue. You know, he talks about why just an unbridled following of whatever your you know 
your whims lead you to. I mean, when you read it, you were not going to be able to. I mean, when you get to that part, I can see where your bookmark is. It's later. You know, you'll you'll recognize the internet there, which is just following what's interesting. You know, you you turn it on, the screen comes on, you follow around for a bunch of hours, and then you turn it off. Which mm-hmm. is really, a, there's sort of a a lack of intentionality right there that Aquinas would say you guys are susceptible to curiosity, and then because you might have spent two hours being curious, i.e. undisciplined in the direction of your mind and your will. Well, now that you turned it off, you're probably predisposed to some sin you weren't prepared for before. And uh, I think anyone reading it will go, wow, okay, so the Summa is complex and and hard to uh, just wade into. But the wisdom in it, there is nothing in our in the history of the church that is as profound when you're, especially when you're talking about the virtues as the Summa. Yeah, I definitely also think with you know, curiosity. I mean, we hear the term curiosity killed the cat. It's one of those things where I don't know if it was Aquinas or Augustine, but I believe one of them said that you will be judged based on the amount of knowledge you have. So the less knowledge, the better. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think it was Augustine, but wow. Yeah. It's frightening because (laughs) (laughs) what I know can't hurt me. So (laughs) But then there's also the side of what you should know and being in blissful ignorance where it's like, you know, you should learn about this one thing or you should, you should, you know, research it because it would actually be beneficial to your salvation. But you don't because if you do, that means you'll be held accountable for your actions. Aquinas Aquinas can help you. The great thing about Aquinas is he defends you constantly. He is in constant. He is. He's in. Because we're always like, am I doing the right thing or not? And like, can I need more, like like you were just saying, it's kind of our feeling, which is, I just need more knowledge so that I know what to do. Mm. And he's, he really begins from a completely different place, which is like, what are these natural powers within you? And what are they urging you towards? Right? And your desire for food is urging you towards food so that you sustain your body, so that you live, so that through your senses, you can attain more truth. So that the attain you can attain salvation. There's all the and so when he talks about like gluttony, which is a sin very few of us Americans are good at talking about. Um, I said to a friend the other day, I'm like, how do you how do you what do you mean you never confess gluttony? Like we're Americans. That we, we that should be every confession is probably I um, think a lot of people view gluttony as like food, but it also is like TV and social media and all of this stuff. Yeah, it's your senses being overloaded. Yeah. So he but he'll defend, all right, why are you why are you urged in that direction? And and when you understand that that's from that's that even that is from God. That that urge. So say you have a, a an addiction to something more uh, damaging, right? Well, the the initial urge is actually from God, right? And it becomes disordered and and, and disabling even. Mm. But he he'll defend. So your curiosity. He say you were made for truth. You hunger for it. You want it. It's going to gnaw at you and you want to have truth it's going it's going to pull you forward and because of where you you know because of the state of life we have with the internet all these things yes it can go haywire but don't fear the truth right just know that it's going to be liberate like he will constantly it's going to liberate you it's going to bring you as long as it as and you'll get as your as your will your intellect your heart doesn't get carried away into disorder into passions. So I, I just think he he has a, a constant way. For me, it was actually comforting 
to, mm. to read him because I wasn't just getting a bunch of tidbits of, you know, what, you know, ways to do things or all this. It was just, what is, what is the truth about who I am and what I am? And I, I want to be what I am. I want to be who I am, but I want to grow up. And that's what, that's what the virtue is. That's where, so anyway, yeah. Yeah. Don't be, don't fear the knowledge, but definitely be prepared for the discipline that truth brings with it or, you know, inspires in us or ought to. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. I think especially today's world with relativism that's running rampant in today's world, like my truth is my truth. So many people are confused about what real truth is and everybody thinks that they have what it takes to, you know, save the world. Basically they're like, Oh, well, this is my advice. And this is, you know, saving world hunger. And like, (laughs) there's so many like people who have hero complexes. And one of the main things that I notice out there is that there are hundreds and hundreds of self-help books. Like so many people are like, I have the exact answer to why you're miserable. But none of these self-help books include actually growing up and and becoming virtuous and, you know, keeping God at the center of your life. They all keep ourselves at the center of our lives, which makes our lives even more empty. And, you know, it's kind of just weird seeing that that difference. So what do you think, like, what is the difference between Christian virtue and then that whole secular self-help relativism type side? Yeah, it's not unlike in the early church, um, there was actually an unease about using the word virtue. So I, I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast. Is it should, Do I say show or podcast, Amber? I want to be accurate. It's both. Uh, technically both. So you were accurate showcast. both times. Okay, so the showcast that we're on right now um, is that this goes through faith, hope, love, prudence, justice, temperance, fortitude as um, the, you know, these are the stand, these are the traditional virtues. This is how we understand human person the early church is actually uneasy about using these words because we have christ why do we need to talk about the pagans formulation of mm-hmm. the good life because we have to remember you you brought up augustine you know augustine lived on the cusp between the achievements of the greco-roman world and their philosophers and their political might and their empires and their their you know you know what well, not universities but academies and um and the revelation from God of Jesus Christ, perfect God, perfect man. We have, you know, the, the, the quip was we, what hath Athens to do with Jerusalem? Meaning Athens has done much to bring glory to itself and its knowledge, but Jerusalem has the coming, the, the, the living God. Hmm. And it was actually Augustine who bridged the gap. And he said, well, the virtues, if we understand them correctly, are love, the virtue of charity from God acting rightly in this world. What it, it's just love doing its thing. Um, the self-help books have proliferated at the same time. If we were to have like a, a like a graph, right, showing them like you know corresponding, as we lose our understanding first of God being the center and the purpose of all things, we will replace that void with ourself. And as that happens, we will find ourselves in the in very in a very we will need help. So we will get self-help because we've replaced, we've dethroned God, we've placed ourselves there, and we are unhappy. And I I don't doubt actually that most self-help books have a kernel of truth or nobody would buy them, right? I mean, every heresy, every error. Um, you know, a Snickers bar has to have something good in it or you wouldn't buy it, right? <laughs> that peanut's got some kind of protein in it that I need. Um, 
So every, every error has something. It's just the self-help books are so woefully incomplete because to go back to the early church, why were they nervous about using the word virtue? And it's like, because th these are just pagans trying to make themselves better at living life without God. Hmm. And a lot of self-help books are just trying to make yourself feel better. And it's what, so in the era of immaturity, you know, there's all Jonathan Lash, Neil Postman, these guys, it's in, or, or in religious studies, Christian Smith, um, you know, it's the age of the therapeutic, which is, I need something to help me feel better and understand me. Mm. This, this is the age of the therapeutic. I need something. And I actually have a huge ache for the, because I, I, the need is real. Like it, it's a, it's a deep, painful, lonely, isolating, confusing, conflicting ache to be man, not whole within himself without God, without these properly ordered relationships. So he's not ordered in anything. He's not ordered within himself. He's not ordered in his life. He needs the therapeutic. So the difference, though, between the self-help book and, and virtue is that virtue works, not to make it pragmatic. That's um, true. But, they, but the self-help books are essentially pagan. A lot of them, a lot of them. And I'm, again, I'm said there's probably something true in them. I mean, Aquinas, when I say pagan, it does, I'm not dismissing all of it. Aquinas quotes two people and throughout the Summa most that is August, St. Augustine and Aristotle. So a Christian mm -hmm. and a pagan to be, to be technical. Um, so I'm not saying they don't have any wisdom, but until God becomes the, the object and center and the purpose and the end, the, the, the supreme good, as Aquinas calls it, of all of our actions, then we just can't understand ourselves and it's going to end in frustration and disappointment. And you, but you, you did hit it on the head when you said the self-help books, they will focus on you. Yeah. And you need help, right? I mean, you know, Jesus can focus on you too. Um, and he's not doing anything wrong, but we have to turn our gaze uh, to God and our end to God. And until we do that, it's just, we're, we're going to be spinning in circles and writing more books and selling more books and, yeah, it's says, just says there's the a lot of money in it. That's right. <laughs> there's a lot it's of not, money in self help. Books. Not for the author, I could probably oh, in, in the Catholic world. Um, no, <laughs> there is the, the in the self help book. I saw, I even saw, I see the language now of self help being used in Catholic. I got an email for I, I won't say who it is. I don't I don't remember anyway. But you know, it's like, are you feeling lonely and isolated? Well, this is going to help you pull out of that. You know, you need to join this and click here and sign up for the. And it's, I hear them. And actually, I think, I do think they're trying to do something good, but it just shows that the, the dark void that a lot of us feel, we're trying to fill. And God does want to fill it. He does want to fill that void with it, with himself in the living of the virtues and the ordering of our lives and the, the tempering of the passions and the, the keening of our intellect and the strengthening of our will. These are, that's actually what brings about happiness. Yeah. I think that's so important. I also notice the, there is a special kind of man as well, though, that's kind of like the effeminate man. Um, they're the kind of people who preach about how virtuous they are. And they're just like, yeah, well, I just took a cold shower and ate like no meat this whole week. So like, what did you do? And then this other guy's like, I didn't sleep for 12 days. And it's like, it becomes more of a competition than it is about like virtue and, and an interior you know, disposition to get closer to God, it becomes more like this weird competitiveness. And these guys will become like, like dude bro -y, you know, like the dude bros. 
I don't oh my know. Goodness, can we do another? We need to do another show cast on that. Uh, no. Can we please? Because uh, I need. It's awful. It's so no, no, bad. There, and there is there is theological and philosophical. So you're intuiting in this interview. What I'm Amber, you are intuiting a lot of things from your babysitting, your um, uh, 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 annoyance of the, the the man at the strip clubs, your annoyance with the the dude bro Catholics. Um, they're the worst. They're the worst. I'm sorry. Well, they're, no, they're they're close to the worst. <laughs> they're and, almost there. <laughs> and it, it, but you're absolutely right. It's a it's a fail. I mean, I'm reading right through a, a, a wonderful book. My friend uh, Steve Cunningham published it. Um, oh, I love Steve. On, He's great. Do you know Steve? Yeah, I just had him on a live stream not too long ago. So what's funny? So Steve was like my friend. And he's always sending me these videos because he's got a YouTube channel, right? That's probably how you guys yeah. know each other. Census Fidelium, yeah. yeah. Census Fidelium. So he's always saying, me, I'm like, I'm like, Steve, how am I going to watch an hour and a half sermon from some guy? You know, and then I come to find out he's got this YouTube empire. Um, like, when did this happen, Steve? But anyway, he great guy. But, you know, he understands this, the, the hidden up. But he, he published a book, Pope Leo the, the 13th on humility and Basically, you know how you're actually growing in virtue most likely is that it's hidden mm. and that it's not seen. But the need to declare it, the need for it to be known um, is very revealing to the state that we're in. And you are using the word effeminate correctly, by the way, which is it's not men acting girly. It's men that are that are not sacrificing or unwilling to sacrifice and endure for the right things in the right way. Mm. Um so what part of our Lord saying, wash your face and don't go around telling people about your penance, didn't you understand, right? It's just sort of basic instruction. Yeah. Which is why I say, I won't even tell you what I'm really drinking in this coffee cup. I don't, I don't <laughs> stay humble. <laughs> it's Irish cream. <laughs> Honestly, I could use some. Mm. <laughs> no, I think it's interesting though, because that's like, the majority of met traditional men that I have come across, not all of them, but a good chunk of them always have to one up each other or they're in these cliques and it's mm -hmm. like they only hang out with each other. And that's not like a bad thing, but I something that I constantly see lacking in them is humility and kindness. Those are the two things that are always lacking in a dude bro because they always have to one somebody up or they always have to tell you what they did or, and it's not even like private, like just us talking and they're just like, yeah, you know, I think it'd be really cool. Like if you did this, because, you know, I'm doing this right now and it's, you know, it's not even that it's just like, ja, I only eat fish now. So like, yeah. whatever. <laughs> so it is clicky. It's communicated through the internet. So it's not actually, you know, the one way to not be traditional is to re receive something in a mode other than tradition, which is to read it on the internet and imitate it. Um, are you, you should subscribe to sword and spade. I have a, an, because I think I, the magazine, the magazine. I think actually, so the next issue is uh, I think what you're describing perfectly is the rapper, uh, the gangster. So um, I think that that the ethos and the spirit of the rapper is the prophet of the worst in men today he he uh and by the way i'm speaking as a recovering wu-tang clan fan of, of, of some degree <laughs> um and growing up in the 90s i'm older than you i, I think i'm into it just a little yeah so uh i so 80s 90s 2000s i saw the emergence of rap from from the ghettos to mainstream 
Mm. But the rapper, the rapper blends the worst of men possible, right? So he has a dandy-like obsession with his shoes and his image, while also uh, maintaining um, that he's packing heat and he's got weapons and he's dangerous, right? He's trying to maintain these things at the same time. Right. Sorry, let me let me show you something really quick. No, you're good. (gasps) It's a baby. Oh, hello, baby. Hello. She is the cutest. She is so cute. <gasps> oh, she's just a little Bernadette. 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 Hi. Kind of... Oh, hi, sweetie. You're this so is number cute. eight. This is number eight. Oh, wow. Is um, she the youngest? She is. And we also had a decade of boys. So she's our second girl in a row, which has been delightful and strange. The boys are savages. Well, she'll be protected when she grows up. So, yeah, That's I good. hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't kill all the boys first. So, the rapper, the rapper, um, he, he blends together this sort of self absorbed um, machismo that is um, self congratulatory, bragging, boastful, lacking in all pride and decorum, while still at the same, t- same time maintaining toughness, dominance, all these things girl hey this show is about me what are you doing <laughs> she's like no it's the bernadette show now get her face i love her like, i think that's me is that you <laughs> write your own book girl goodness i don't want that i don't want that um you definitely will but i think i think you should you should because what you're describing i actually think it's a new era this, this the um right because who unapologetically who is unapologetically self-absorbed, dominant, tough, while also being a dandy, like fussing about jewelry, um, boasting to his bros, and then ultimately lacking in the temperance of what a, a fatherly culture would bring, mm. uh, which would be, you know, we, we don't speak about ourselves in public like that, son. Shut your mouth. Don't be weird. Yeah. Right? That kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think it's also interesting because I noticed that they're, they also don't know how to speak to women. Um, they're either extremely rude or dude bro or uh, they're like, hi, you know, it's like, yeah. there's no in between. There's like the awkward, like, Hey, um, I'm, you know, or there's the yeah. like, Hey, it's like, you look cool. Indifference. You know? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Indifference. Right. Indifference is unholy, but I mean, the, the cool culture is unholy too. Uh, yeah. We need to do a whole nother one on this. No, I, I, you know, our kids are homeschooled and, you know, our for our number one rule is don't be weird, which is not to have not to have, you know, you're allowed to have particular interests and be, you know, unique or whatever. Um, but, you know, learning how to have decorum and, and communication, especially with girls. Um, so important is important. Um, the the cool kid dude bro thing is completely unacceptable. Um, it has to do with the creation of youth culture, which did not exist 100 years ago. Uh, and then we created, we separate, so this is all right, really quick. We separated the children, um, we separated teenagers in traditional societies all the way up, you know, to 18, 1900s. They went from being a child to being with men, boys. Uh. Uh, so there was the American Psychological Institute, Institute thought that we should actually give a break to teenagers to have a time of formation. So so they sort of separated teenagers off. Then we had the rise of public schooling, compulsory schooling. And mm. so we cordoned, we cordoned off youth, young people, 
Um, and then they, so they actually, then we had mass media and all these things started selling things direct to this young people. And boom, we had this thing called youth culture, which never existed. There was no such thing as youth culture before. We had culture, right? Adult culture, right. mature, adult, serious, gravitas culture. Uh, youth culture became something that was intentionally rebellious, cool. It was a generational clickiness. All I care about is what my peers think. I don't care about my little brother and I don't care about my dad, right? Huh. It's yeah. a generational clickiness, smushed them all together. Uh, and now that clickiness, that generational clickiness has become the dominant culture where you can be mm -hmm. in Walmart and see a grown man with his dad, his granddad and his son. They're all looking at the phone playing Candy Crush dressed like they're scared a basketball game is going to break out at any second. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the, so the youth culture was invented by man. And then it's that, that's the plague, the plague you're describing is the plague of youth culture with their athleisure ghetto and their Under Armour hats and, you know, Yeti coolers. Uh-huh. What, what kind of person thinks that they ought to put a cooler brand sticker on the back of their truck? I don't even understand. Um, They're like, I'm so you, cool. What, <laughs> you, you, did you just pay to advertise for that company? You jackass. What are you doing? They don't, um, they don't think about it though. Yeah. We're getting, no, we, we need to wrap this up. This is getting way too off, off the path here. <laughs> no, you're ah. fine. Our last question, our last question right. here is mainly, what tips do you have for fathers who want to get more serious about forming their children in virtues? Um, hold on one second. No, I'm still got the heck. <laughs> My wife has the baby now. Um, one is to create the time where it happens. If you live a busy life, uh, your life, you know, I, I am blessed. We do live on a farm. Um, I'm forced and we live on a dairy farm. So I'm forced to be with my kids every day because the cows have to be milked every day. And that, that time of formation, I don't know what I would do without it. Hmm. Uh, Cause we get to talk about doing a job, right. We get to talk about treating animals correctly. We get to talk about, uh, Hey, I heard, you know, uncle so-and-so say the word homosexual. What does that mean? You know, we get all sorts of time together. Uh, and, and, but we also, as a family, we sit down, you know, we have once a week where we have like big breakfast time and then, but every morning and then every evening we have discussions about books and what, and, and what's going on. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that time set aside where you're forming your kids, then someone else is. So dads, I don't, I just, I just don't care that you're busy. If you're too busy to do the most important thing, which is the spiritual moral formation of your sons, particularly, then quit something. Mm. Just quit. Uh, stop doing something you're doing. And I kind of don't believe you because if you have Netflix or any other crap, you're you've got time. You obviously have time, or you wouldn't have these superfluous things. And and no, you don't need to decompress at the end of the day. Get over yourself and teach your children. Because uh, they're going to go away and they're going to leave home and then they're going to die and they're going to go to heaven or hell. And it, you need to form them. So yeah. um, I would, the number one thing is just to set the time aside and find things that you're studying and discussing together. But most importantly, this is, a, you know, this is another big thing, but we're, we're dealing with generations of brokenness and difficulty now. Um, yeah. you're, you're a broken man. You, you have issues. You need to treat your son as the person that he is. Treat him as a person and that you're a person and that he's not a problem to be fixed, but you guys are actually struggling to grow in virtue together. He will learn more from your honesty, your vulnerability, and your stories. Uh, you know, when you, when you start, if you, if you read my book, you know, and you start reading about um, 
the pain of, of theft or being cheated or cheating. You know, tell a story about it. Your son will remember it forever. So set that time aside. Do it all the time. But then remember, he's a person, you're a person, and you guys are both going in the same direction, and that's towards God. You just want to be going hand in hand, arm in, or whatever. Sorry, shoulder to shoulder um, as, as directly as possible. Um, and don't leave each other behind. Be close to one another. I think that's wonderful. And I think that's a good note to end on. So thank you so much, Jason, for coming on here and discussing your new book, uh, The Traditional Virtues According to St. Thomas Aquinas, A Study for Men with Us. There you go. Thanks, Amber. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And where can my listeners find you? Are you anywhere or just? Uh, no, I kind of seceded from the online world, but you can subscribe to Sword and Spade uh, magazine. Uh, and actually, there's a weekly newsletter that comes out if you're interested in these kind of things. And wonderful all right guys well you heard it if you guys want to do that definitely go for it and with all that being said i'll talk to you guys in the next video all right thanks again jason bye guys bye.